Last week, we began a new series here at Walk Church that we've titled, Believe in the Miracle. The Christmas story is all about miracles. If you read the Christmas story in the Bible, you'll begin to see different miracles from God happening all around. However, sometimes I think we just jump to one, and that's the birth of the Messiah, Jesus, which is the best miracle of all. But I think that there's some that lead up and even directly right after that we can learn from as brothers and sisters in Christ today. Last week, we learned about a guy by the name of Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. And Zechariah walked in faithfulness. He served the Lord. He and his wife were advanced in years. It means that they were older in year. And they showed up at the temple and Zechariah went in and he had an encounter with the living God. The Lord spoke to him and said, even in your old age, you're going to have a baby. Well, he didn't say you're going to have a baby. He said your wife's going to have a baby. Praise God, right? God does miracles, but not those type of miracles. He said your wife's going to have a miracle, and you guys are going to have a baby boy. And God honored that prayer, that prophetic word from angel Gabriel. And that's where we pick it up in our story today. I want us to just continue to look through these different chapters and see where the miracles are on display So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 26 and read all the way through 38. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. eat. If you're ready to dig into this word this morning, say let's dig. I like it. (laughs) Let's dig. Let's dig into verse 26. In the sixth month, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name. Come on, that was kind of weak. Call his name? Jesus. Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Amen? That was weak. Come on, let's do it again. Let me rewind. For nothing will be impossible with God. One more time. Say it with me. For nothing will be impossible with God. Come on, say it with me. For nothing will be impossible with God. And I just, need to, I just need to be reminded that that's true today. Well, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want to preach a message to you this morning that we're titling God's Miraculous Grace. God's miraculous 
grace. What we're seeing here in this Christmas story is a demonstration of God's miraculous grace. Grace in itself is a miracle. This, this idea that God shows favor to his people, he, he deposits grace that we don't deserve, that's a miracle from God. The fact that we're breathing right now is a miracle from God, and we're looking at his miraculous grace in these scriptures here today. The gospel of Luke that's telling this story is a little bit unique, and I thought that there was a teaching point for us before we dig into the points in this sermon. The thing that I want you to see is that there's four gospels in the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Matthew, Mark, and John are all kind of similar in this way, that Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. Mark was a youngster, but he followed Jesus kind of from a distance, we believe. And then there was John, who was, in quote, the, the disciple Jesus loved. They, were all, they all had encounters with Jesus in one way or another. They, they were followers in person in one way or another. Now, Luke is different because Luke wasn't a person-to-person follower of Jesus. Luke was not an apostle. Luke did not have that encounter. He was not one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Luke was from a completely different context. Luke is a doctor. Luke is a physician. Luke is a scholar. And now many interpreters believe that Luke was hired by a very rich ruler named Theophilus. And Theophilus funded Luke to be an investigator. Now, what was Luke investigating? Luke was investigating the man who we know as Jesus, the God-man. I believe Theophilus said, you know what? Everybody's talking about this Jesus, but everybody has different stories. Some say he walked on water. Some say he was born of a virgin. Some say he rose from the grave. Some say he spit in his hand and he healed a guy's eyes and he does all types of stuff. And so he hired Luke and he said, I want you to investigate Luke and I want you to develop the most orderly point-for-point, chronological narrative of this person, Jesus. And so Luke said, all right, I received the calling. He goes, I'm going to start by going to Israel, and I'm going to interview all the eyewitnesses. If you really want to tell somebody's story, go to the people that know them the best. So I believe that Luke found Mary in her older age and said, I want you to tell me everything that happened with your son. So imagine Luke, and he's in Galilee, and he's like, hey, Austin, do you know where Mary is, Jesus' mom? They're like, nah, I ain't seen her. Have you seen, hey, Jenny, had you seen Mary, uh, Jesus' mom? They're like, oh, yeah, she's over there at the market. And then he's like, hey, are you Mary? Can I sit down with you? I want to interview you about your son. And I just want you to see this setting. Maybe, have you ever seen the movie The Titanic? I kind of picture it like this. Mary at this point is in her older age. And I can just see Mary, she's sitting down with Dr. Luke. And Dr. Luke's got his pen and pad out. And he says, all right, tell me everything I need to know. What hospital were you in? She's like, what, no hospital. How'd you, how, how did you get pregnant? And she goes, all right, you ready for this? It's been 84, no, I'm just playing, right? She goes, I want you to just imagine This is what Luke's telling. He's telling the story through the eyewitness, Mary herself, who would would be very old at this point by the time she encountered Luke. Um, Jesus would have been dead for several years by now and rose again. And now Mary turned from the mother of Jesus to the disciple of Jesus. Mary, Mary knew that. 
And we learn here about the testimony that Mary gave regarding her own story of her encounter with the angel of being told that she would give birth to the Savior of the world. Are you guys ready to look at it? Let's go ahead and unpeel this story together. The first thing we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, it says, In the sixth month, in the sixth month, why is that important? It just is just a, a detail for you to see that it was six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. So, so Gabriel showed up six months ago, told Zechariah, your wife is going to get pregnant, even in their old age. They did what married couples do, and now they have a baby that's six months on the way. Now, in the six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. I love this right here. The angel Gabriel's back. He's only mentioned five times in the entire Bible, and we just saw two of them. Right, we see him show up to talk to Zechariah, and now the angel Gabriel, after a six-month hiatus, he's back, and he's a man on a mission. Well, he's an angel on a mission, all right? Gabriel was sent from God. I just like the fact that God is ascending God. I like that God is a God who says, you know what? I send my people on mission. God'll, God may send you back home with a message. God may send you to Starbucks with the word. God may send you on a mission trip to a different context. God is ascending God, and he always sends to accomplish his mission. His mission, which is to bring glory and honor to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this happening right here. Angel Gabriel was sent from God where? To a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, I just think that it's important for us to highlight this, that he was sent to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. I could just picture the angel Gabriel in Nazareth like, why in the world am I here? What is it so special about Nazareth? Well, there's not much special at all about Nazareth. We get some of this context from a dialogue we overhear in John chapter 1 when Jesus called his first disciples. John chapter 1 verse 43 says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. How neat is it? This is where the angel showed up to his mom. He's going back home now. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. And maybe you might hear the Lord tell you that today. I'm calling you to follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, which should remind you that the Old Testament is writing about Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46, now Nathanael said to him, hold up. Well, he didn't say hold up. He just said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come on and see. I can't just tell you. I got to show you. Come and see the one who has set me free. F Philip was uh, an inviter, praise God. Maybe you're like, hey, I want to invite you to Christmas at Walk this year. And they're like, what? At Schofield? The church is happening? And just say, come and see. Come and see right? But notice what he said about Nazareth. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What's going on there that's so special? I like what John MacArthur writes about Nazareth. He says, Nazareth, an obscure town 70 miles north of Jerusalem, was a place of lowly reputation and nowhere mentioned in the Old Testament. What he's saying there is, if it had a high reputation, it was talked about in the Old Testament. 
If it was such a special place where, where the Messiah would potentially come from, maybe you would think that, right? It was 70 miles north of Jerusalem. That's a whole long way away from where all the godly stuff was happening. What good could come from this small, ordinary town, Nazareth? I love what MacArthur says. He says, God's choice of Nazareth to be Jesus' birthplace reveals that he is the savior of the world. Everybody say the world. world. Right? Not, Not just the powerful and elite. Not just one nation only. But of all those who are called both Jews and Greeks. People from Nazareth and people from Jerusalem. People from New York City. People from Las Vegas. People from Henderson and Green Valley, people that live in the summer. He's a savior of Nazareth people, amen? Like he he goes to all types of places that the Messiah comes from a place that doesn't have a great stature, that doesn't have a great reputation. That's where Jesus hails from. And that should remind us that there's there's, there's not really a bunch of circumstantial things that's going to get God's attention, like where you're from and how you grew up and how much money. That's not looking for that. God will come to Nazareth and meet you right there. That's something that is a highlight in this story as we continue reading. The text says that Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. I love this right here. We're introduced to Mary. Like, yes, like the real deal Mary, like the mother of Jesus, Mary. Let's welcome Mary to the the, the study this morning. This is actually her, and she is a big deal, but I think we want to be careful to make sure we see Mary not as the culture sees Mary or not as we heard about Mary, but really let's just allow the Bible to inform us on how we should see Mary. Amen? Let's just get our information from the scriptures. A couple of things that we learn about Mary that's important for us today is, first off, she was a virgin. Mary was a virgin. And you're like, good job, pastor. Really, really good point there. Um, but, but maybe you don't realize how important it is that Mary is a virgin. It's, it's absolutely essential that that detail is in the Bible, that we are all convinced that we know that we know that we know that the Bible is true and that Mary was a virgin. Why does it matter? Well, let me give you the first point why it matters. Because of prophecy being fulfilled. Mary has to be a virgin if Christmas is going to be real. Isaiah in chapter 7 of his prophetic book says it like this. This is 500 years before Mary was even thought of. Isaiah said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's going to say, when the Messiah is coming, I'm going to give you guys a sign. Here's the sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's what what we're saying when we say that Mary was a virgin. We're saying, oh, snap, we got the sign. There's a sign happening. So like, for example, while I'm preaching right now, if you just heard a blasting trumpet, like, but it was like level a thousand, right? We were like, oh my gosh, Jesus is coming. He said, when you hear that trumpet, there's a sign, right? This is the, the Messiah sign that there's a virgin who, who's here and the angel Gabriel is here and it's a big deal. And so she has to be a 
virgin in order for Christmas to be what it really is. The second reason why it's important is for the legitimacy of the Bible. If Mary's not a virgin, then the Bible's a liar, amen? What that means is that we should all go home and find something better to do with our time. And that, that if that verse is not true, then there's really no point to believe any of the Bible. You're like, man, why are you harping so much on the idea that Mary's a virgin and on the fact that that's true in the scriptures? Well, because right now, there is lots of narratives going around. False gospels, like the gospels of Thomas and the gospels of Peter and, and, and even the false gospel of Mary that have been fabricated over hundreds and hundreds of years. People trying to make money. And here's the distinction. They are, are, they're, they're saying that Mary wasn't a virgin. And they're saying, hey, you know, Mary had sexual intercourse before that, and Jesus wasn't necessary, and it was just a big story, and all these things have been hidden, and Gabriel was involved, and and Joseph knew too, and all types of, and and what I want you to do is I just want you to get your information from the scripture, and let God inform you on what really is the truth. It's such a big deal that Mary is who the scriptures say she is. I remember once listening to an interview from a guy by the name of Larry King Live. You guys remember Larry King? He used to be on, uh, on CNN in the evening times, and he would always answer questions and have a news discussion in the evening time. And one time, Larry King was put on the spot, and they asked him a question. They said, Larry, if you could ask anybody in the history of the world any question that you want it could be an athlete it could be a famous person it could be somebody that already passed away what would be the thing that you'd ask and who would that person be and without a second Larry said I would pick Mary and ask her if she was a virgin or not and the reason why he said that he says because depending on that answer that changes everything that 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 this is the anchor of our faith Whether or not Mary is a virgin, whether or not she is who she says she is, if not, there's no Christmas story that Jesus is going to come and fulfill Isaiah 7 through the virgin, prophecy fulfilled, Mary is on display for us, and it's a big deal that we we just don't rush past it, amen, that this is something we must learn and believe is true. Now, the next thing it says is that she was a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Everybody say, hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. Welcome, Joe, to the story. We got introduced to Mary. Now we're meeting Joe. And here's a couple things we learn about Joe. We, le- we learn that, that she was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, this word betrothed is an interesting word. I'll confess to you, I had never heard of the word betrothed before I started studying these verses. It's not a verse, it's not a word that we typically use in our English language, betrothal, that she was betrothed. But let me just give you a little bit of context about what this word means. Betrothal meant engagement. Means that he put a ring on it. Means that there was a pledge to be married, but according to Jewish law, They would never sleep together. They would never live together. That the betrothal would last from one point of the year. When the betrothal was set in place, it would take a full year to consummate the betrothal. And after one full year of faithfulness to God, faithfulness to each other in the areas of purity and honor and respect to each other's families and respect to the Lord himself, 
Then they would come together for a unity and have a seven-day-long marriage feast that would ultimately end with a dad giving his daughter away and a bridegroom receiving his wife, and they would be legally married at that point. And then they would come together and live together. I want you to know that betrothal is important. important that it's important that she was betrothed to a man named Joseph because you got to know that they weren't married because she was a virgin and they hadn't slept together, which is something that is, is, is crucial to the Christmas story. And I know that what I'm talking about right here may potentially offend somebody. And I just want to encourage you that God's way is always the best way. And engagement in our culture today doesn't necessarily look like this, but maybe we should learn some of this so we don't have the heartache in the long run. So the scriptures would teach that living together before married isn't necessarily the best way that God has called for a better approach. And we can learn from that with Joseph and Mary sleeping together before the covenant of marriage. God says, I can't bless that because that's not my way. And I just want to encourage you, I know that's sticky and tough and controversial and all that, but I just want to be as close to the scripture as possible because I'm learning that these are the type of people that get God's attention. They say, you know what, I'm going to turn from even my own sexual sin and I'm going to trust in him. And I'm going to take my time and I'm going to wait and I'm going to just do what God's called me to do and I'm going to trust that he's going to honor that at the end of the day. And I guarantee you, he always will. God will always honor his word and you'll be glad that you were obedient to him. I know that's a tough word. Everybody just take a breath and we're back, all right? Let's keep going. Betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. They hadn't slept together and that's an important word and it's again fulfilling prophecy, fulfilling prophecy. See that Joseph was from the house of David and why is that an important word for us? Well, it's important because 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12 said the Messiah is gonna come from the house of David. Verse 16, again, the Messiah will follow the house of David. Psalm 89, verse 35 through 36, David is writing in the psalm saying that the Messiah will come from my lineage. Jeremiah 23, verse 5, a prophetic word. The Messiah will one day come to save his people and he will come from the house of David. It's important to know the details that Joseph is from the house of David and that Joseph would be man enough to adopt Jesus as his own. Think about how crazy that must have been. Joseph would have to live with that for the rest of his life. There are still people today that think Joseph was crazy. Like, Joseph, why would you believe her? Why would you choose to adopt that baby that's not your own? And Joseph is a great model for husbandry and being a father that's faithful. And we don't know a ton. I'll clap with you. We don't know a ton about Joseph. We just know that he was a godly man. He was a carpenter. And we're going to learn more about him throughout this series. But here we know that he was betrothed. He honored his betrothal. And he was from the house of David. And that's important for us to know. It's good to know about this couple who's now betrothed. They're coming together. They're young. And they're together. Think about Mary. She's planning for her wedding, right? She's like, okay, we're coming up on the end of our betrothal. Like, this is going to be an awesome day. We're from the small town of Nazareth. We're going to have all our family and friends there. There's going to be a total of like 14 people, right? And, and we're going to have this awesome celebration in our unknown place called Nazareth. Just leave us alone. I love what the B.D. Anuwabi says about this book as he commentates on Luke chapter 1. He says, 
Zechariah and Elizabeth are at the end of their long lives, while Mary and Joseph are at beginning theirs. What God does in the world has nothing to do with our ages or our hometowns. God uses whomever he wills. So I want to make sure that we're putting the focus on the right things here. How about God choosing Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to bring about the Savior? The next thing we see in Luke 1, 26 through 28 is that he was betrothed to a man who, she was betrothed to a man, she was a virgin, betrothed to a man who was named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Before we jump past, I just want to make sure that we have the right context of who Mary is. Mary is this young lady from this small town. Now, most scholars believe that Mary was in between the ages of 12 to 14. You could be betrothed at the, in this culture at age 12. So that this was early for her. She was a, probably a hardworking woman who was supporting and helping her family. People from that, we, we learned that Mary and Joseph were not wealthy by any means. When they went to the temple to present their sacrifice, they had to settle for the poor sacrifice, which was pigeons, right? Nobody would offer a pigeon unless you couldn't afford a real animal like that, like a lamb or a goat. So they say, okay, we'll, 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 take, we'll settle for the lowest. Most women in this culture at this time were illiterate. They didn't, they didn't go to school necessarily. They, they were helping with the house. And so I, I want us to get an accurate picture of Mary because sometimes we think of Mary and our minds go straight to this very serious woman who looks like she's shocked. She's got a golden globe around her head and she has a Lay's potato chip in her hand. That's how we see Mary, and it's so wrong. Where we should see Mary from a different perspective in a different light. Mark Driscoll tells us that this is how maybe we should potentially see Mary. Think peasant girl or peasant dress, pulling water from a well, out collecting firewood to heat her parents' home. Think of her as being illiterate and having dirty feet and sandals, walking around on dirt roads. If anything... She's sitting on a homemade stool by her fire, not on a gold throne with a crown on her head. Mary wouldn't even know who this person was. Say, so we got to understand who Mary is. Mary would probably look a lot more like us rather than this glowing angelic being, right? And Mary is somebody who we should learn from and we should, we should and in her own perspective, we should celebrate her life, but we, but we should never worship her. She is a chosen person in the story, a special person, no no doubt. She is the one who would bring forth the Son of God and raise him up. But I would say today, this could be controversial, and this could be offensive, but I just want you to hear my heart. I'm sharing from the scriptures that I think that Mary today is in heaven and spending a lot of time saying, I can't help you. Stop praying to me. There's nothing I can do for you. Pray to him. It's always been about him. My, Mary says, my story is about Jesus. I'm nothing without Jesus. Mary would tell you today, if, if we could put Mary on the stand and have an interview with Mary of the Bible, we'll say, Mary, what was it that you think God chose you? she go, I, I got nothing. I'm from Nazareth. I was married to my high school sweetheart, Joseph. We had our nice little family. We were planning for a little wedding. 
And we were just going to grow up in our hometown and no one was going to know us, but that was okay. We just wanted to stay faithful to the Lord. So stop praying to Mary and asking her to move when she's just going to reflect that to Jesus and say, go to him, go to him, go to him. It's all about Jesus at the end of the day. And that's what we see here in the scriptures. Let's continue reading on to verse 28. The scripture says, he came to her, the angel, and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And so, so he gives this greeting to her in verse 28 and says, greetings or hello or surprise, like wow, O favored one. Now, what does O favored one mean? That just means that God's shown you grace. The word favor is synonymous with this idea that God is a giver of grace. He's bestowed grace and favor upon Mary, and she's like, wow, on me? And I love what the angel says to to qualify the statement, he says, the Lord is with you. And I just want to remind you today, if, you're, if you love Jesus and you're a believer in him, he's with you. That the Christmas story is not just limited to this young lady and Joseph, but it's for us. It's for us too, that the Lord is with us today. And you can have grace today. And you can find your part in the story as well and say, you know what, Jesus, I need you. I receive you. I can't do this on my own. Now look at Mary. Uh, at this point, you know, as we continue reading, it says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Can we, can we relate to Mary? If the angel Gabriel showed up in your living room and you like came down the stairs, like remember Zechariah almost died last week, right? Gabriel's a, a big, bad, awesome, sent from God angel. He says, greetings, <laughs> and Mary's troubled, right? Mary's like, what, what, what does that even mean? I love what Luke 129 says in the NASB translation. It says, she was very perplexed at this statement. I don't want you to see Mary as doubting, but just her being taken back. She's, she's trying to figure out what's happening. She's like, what does that statement even mean? She kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Like, who are you, first off? How do you know my name? And the Lord's with me? Go, come on. <laughs> She's like, go, say more, right? The angel said to her, as we continue reading, the angel said to her, do not be afraid. The angel said, do not be afraid. This is this continual reminder to each and every one of us that we don't have to be scared, amen? We don't have to be afraid of what, uh, of what God is doing or what the world is doing, but we can actually be encouraged and we can find gr grace and peace in the fact that he's here. The angel said, do not be afraid. I was, was watching Home Alone with my wife uh, this week, which is one, my favorite Christmas movie. And I just love when Kevin, he runs out of the house and he just goes, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid anymore. And I think maybe we need to like run out of church after that and just tell the enemy, just say, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm. He's with me. The Lord is with me. And I think that's such a good word. So she says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. So such a good word. That he tells her this reality. This is your story, Mary. This is your moment. 
that God has shown grace to you. God has found favor with you. And you're going to conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Jesus. He continues, he says, he's going to be great. He's going to be called the Most High, the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, prophecy fulfillment. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, prophecy fulfillment. And of his kingdom, there will be no end of prophecies being fulfilled right before our eyes. I want you to see that this, this right here was blowing her mind. But it's all grace. It's all grace that was bestowed upon Mary. And I just want us to think about this Christmas story rightly. Thabiti, once again, he says in his commentary, he says, Gabriel greets Mary with words of grace, really. God is smiling on this young, unknown girl. We might be tempted to think Zechariah was chosen because he was righteous and a priest. The angel's greeting to Mary reveals she is chosen solely as a matter of God's grace. Solely out of this reality that God has chosen this young lady. Not because of something special she did, but because God is a God of grace. The the best definition I've ever heard of grace is an undeserved gift. It's a gift that you don't deserve. It's a gift that says, you know what, you are wrong, you you could not pay the price, you are way overdrawn in your bank account, and you show up at the bank and they're like, man, we don't know why, but you're full. You got over and above. Who did that? Grace. That's what God did in sending his son, and he chose Mary to bring her to life, to bring his grace to life. As we conclude this message, I just want to close, because I I think that we could leave here tempted with some really good information about Mary, knowing more about betrothal, and knowing more about Joseph, but, but potentially missing the one who it's all around, and that's Jesus, amen? That their stories are all about Jesus. When I, when I read about the angel's words to Mary, I find seven things that this tells us about Jesus. I just want to run through these seven before we close today. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 33 Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Firstly, Jesus is a son. This is a good word as as you find in another prophetic word of Isaiah 9. It says, a son will be given. A child will be born. Jesus is that son. He was born and he can relate to us. The second thing we learn about Jesus is you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus just means Yahshua. Yahshua in the Hebrew means God who saves, that God is the one who saves. So this pronouncement to Mary is this, Mary, you're going to have a son, and his name is going to be Savior. And if you need to be saved today, you can go to Jesus. you got a direct line. His presence is an open door, amen? Go to him, and oftentimes go to the Savior. Go to to him throughout the day. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I'm getting in the car. I need you. I'm getting out of the car. I need you. I'm going home. I need you. I'm going into work. I need you. I need Jesus, Yahshua. Verse 32, he will be great. Only God is great, amen? Well, that's why Jesus is God, because he's great. There's only one great one, and that's who he will be. The angel says he will be called the Son of the Most High. Can't get much higher than that, can you? You got the most high, and the most high has a son. That's Jesus. That's who we're talking about. That's who we're singing to and worshiping. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. That means that David, right, 
out of his lineage will come somebody else to be greater and sit on the throne. Jesus is that one. He's the fulfiller of these Old Testament promises. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. If you go back to Genesis, you'll read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We did a nine-week series on Jacob and his life and learned all about Jacob, and he did some awesome stuff. Well, the Scripture's telling us today Jesus is even greater. Amen? Like, there's no comparison to Christ. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That Jesus isn't going anywhere. He's not ending anytime soon. He is who he is. He is the beginning and he's the end. And we need to find our, our, ourselves on his team, on team Jesus. That's why I love wearing the Jesus Wind shirt because it reminds me that I'm on the winning team and his kingdom will not end. I want to encourage you today, if you're not on the winning team, the never-ending team, see, our lives are going to end. 100% of the people in the room will one day die, physically, right? Like, I've never had an atheist or anybody else argue with me about that. Like, our time's coming. Our, our bodies are, are failing us, are, are corrupt, and just, we're getting older. But his kingdom never ends. So if you want to enjoy the the heavenly banquet with the one who never ends, you got to get to know him today and tomorrow and build this relationship with the one who never ends. So what, what do you think, Mary? <laughs> right, Mary just heard all about, all about these seven, and she's like, wow. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And I just want to highlight this for a second because... I don't want you to compare her to Zechariah. See, Zechariah doubted. Mary asked a question. Zechariah said, how will I know this is going to happen because I'm super old? In other words, he was saying, God can't do a miracle. Mary's saying, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I haven't sinned against God, is what she's saying. I haven't, I, there, there, this can't be the case because I'm pure, is what she's saying. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called holy. This, is, this child is from God. And I love what happens next. Behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. The angel's telling her like, hey, you know your relative Elizabeth? She's going to have a baby too. But the angel moves from announcing the birth of John to the birth of Jesus here. And it's something that we must not miss. For nothing will be impossible with God. And we got to be reminded, church family, because I know that everybody in here, with a group this size, some of you are going through some dark seasons. Some of you had a long life, let alone a long year or a long weekend. But I want you, I want you to be reminded that nothing will be impossible with God. That if you showed up today, or if you're watching this online and you're still breathing and God's still pumping your lungs and, and your heart still beating, your mind still thinking, he's not done. The things that you have written off as impossible, you need to, you need to place them back into the it's still possible box. Because that's what he's telling her, the angel, is telling Mary, and that's what we should get today. The last thing, and I'm done today, is this, Mary's response. Mary's response. My response in my flesh, 
would probably be something like, I don't know if I can do all that. Or, or like, how's it going to happen? Like, who, where, what, where, what? Oh, I got, can, can, I, can I have a moment to think about this? Like, can I go discuss this with Joseph first? <laughs> can I hit up Elizabeth and say, what happened? <laughs> you know, Mary's response, you ready? Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. The greatest leaders are the greatest servants. Mary takes a posture of humility and says, you know what? I'm only here on this earth to serve God. That's why he created me. God doesn't need to create you. You're not that special. Like God's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta create this person to be. God, God created you so that you could see him. Right? That, that's why we're here. We're here to serve him. So she says, let it be to me according to your word. She says, not my will, God. You just changed the rest of my life forever. But not my will, yours be done. Let it be to me according to your word. Let me, let me tell you this, church. If you, can put, if you can put your yes on the table to two things for the rest of your life, if you can say, you know what, I'm going to be like Mary. I'm going to say yes to God. I'm going to serve the Lord. Or if you can say, yes, I'm going to serve the Lord, and not my will but yours. Let it be done to me. You'll go a long way in the kingdom. If you can have those two responses to whatever God says, I'm here to serve the Lord. Let it be done. If you can live that way, that's a hard way to live. But if you can live that way, we might, we might be talking about you thousands of years from now. God chooses to use the people that he knows are going to put him first, whatever the circumstances. That's why Mary's special. Amen?